0: Hello again everyone and welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear with an emphasis on empowering you, me, and we the people to an activist response. My name is Libby Halevi and the reason that I do this podcast every week is because I was one mile from the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island when it happened. This program is my ac- citizen activist response in the wake of Fukushima to lend my voice to the growing anti-nuclear movement worldwide. On today's program, I'm going to be giving you a first-hand report on the hearings between the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and the City of San Clemente, which I attended last Tuesday. Let me tell you, it was quite the scene. It's quite the story. But first, today is Tuesday, October fourth, 2011, day 207 since the Fukushima tragedy began on March 11. And here is the latest nuclear news. Radioactive water has been found beneath the Georgia nuclear plant hatch. Uh, it was found in southeast Georgia underneath the plant, but officials said on Friday that, quote, the leak does not pose an immediate threat to public health and is in- unlikely to contaminate any drinking water, unquote. Don't they always see things like that immediately after an accident, that it's not bad, and then we find out months later that it really was? Just pointing out a pattern here. Uh, the Atlanta-based Southern Company learned of the leak between plant, underneath plant hatch in Baxley on Wednesday when, when it identified radioactive tritium in two test wells about 25 feet below the ground. Now exposure to tritium increases the risk of developing cancer. But because it emits low-level radiation and leaves the body quickly, according to these people, it makes it one of the least dangerous radioactive elements. That's an oxymoron. According to the Physicians for Social Responsibility, there is no such thing as a not dangerous exposure to radiation, even at the lowest levels. This is why med techs who do x-rays and the like always wear protective clothing, uh, because uh lead line things, or they stand behind a shield, because they're not supposed to be exposed to low levels of radiation, because it builds up. While the size of the leak at plant hatch was unknown, it was enough to raise the water table in the wells about five feet. Not just the wells themselves, but the water table around it. That's a lot of water. Now, a spokesperson for the plant said, we really don't know what the rate is. We know it is more than a drip. Now, the maximum concentration of tritium reported inside the wells was more than 200 times the limit set by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency for drinking water. And please note that this was a GE Mark 1 reactor, the exact same model as was used in... as melted down in Fukushima, and also that uh, Arnie Gunderson recently posted about on um, uh, fairwinds.com. Now, G- according to GE Hitachi, which is uh, the parent company behind the GE Mark I reactors, 35 U.S. reactors could fail during an earthquake because of a problem with control rods. Now, GE Hitachi Nuclear Energy built these 35 reactors, and they were built for utilities from New York to Washington, and said that they may not shut down properly during an earthquake. Uh, GE Hitachi is recommending testing to determine what level of friction would prevent control rods from fully inser- inserting into the reactor core during an earthquake. Now, they consider this issue a, quote-unquote, low-probability event, but then so was the earthquake in Mineral, Virginia, that was 5.9 last month. Now, according to NRC spokesman Neil Sheehan, quote, there are still other changes to come in response to this issue. I don't know offhand what level of seismic activity could pose a problem, end quote, to which I can only say, duh. Now, this could be affecting you, so pay attention, because the nuclear plants that are affected by this are located in Perry, Ohio, Oyster Creek, New Jersey, Clinton, Illinois, Dresden, Illinois, LaSalle, Illinois, Quad Cities, Illinois, Poor Illinois if they get hit by a quake. Limerick, Pennsylvania, Peach Bottom, Pennsylvania, Fitzpatrick, New York, Vermont, Yankee, Vermont, which those Vermonters are trying so hard to shut down. Pilgrim, Massachusetts, Grand Gulf, Mississippi, Browns Ferry, Alabama, Riverbend, Louisiana, Hope Creek, New Jersey, Nine Mile Point, New York, Fermi Two in Michigan, Brunswick, North Carolina, that's the one right on the coast, again a GE Mark I reactor, right on the coast that was in the path of Hurricane Irene. Hatch, Georgia, which, oops, is leaking. Dwayne Arnold, Iowa. Cooper, Nebraska, that was one of the two nuclear reactors threatened by floodwaters by the Missouri River this summer. Monticello, Minnesota, and Columbus, excuse me, Columbia, Washington. So if you're near any of those plants, uh, you might want to try and move elsewhere, because if there's a quake, you might be in trouble. Now, moving on to North Anna. There are, of course, a long list of questions that the NRC asked as the federal agency and Dominion, the owner of North Anna, delve deeper into what happened in the wake of the earthquake last month. And here's the key word, whether any changes or upgrades are needed before the units can be restarted. Oh reactors at the plant on Lake Anna remain shut down as follow-up work and in-house inspections continue. The NRC and Dominion say units 1 and 2 will remain idle until they are satisfied the plant is safe to operate. Meanwhile, unit 2 is being refueled. So in other words, they don't know if they're safe to operate. They, uh, they were shaken. The ground motion, quote, briefly exceeded the plant's design limits, but Dominion said there was no damage to safety or operating systems. Now, how do they know when the when the examination has not been completed on them. But they're saying they did, there was no damage to the systems, And meanwhile, Unit 2 is being refueled in anticipation that they're both going to go online. I bring back the analogy of what happens after an automobile has been in an accident. If you buy a used car, it is always prudent to go on Carfax and check to see if that particular car has, ha- has been in an accident because you don't want a car that's been in an accident. just shakes parts loose. You're going to have problems down the line. There's no such thing as nuclear reactor facts, so we have to trust these people that they're doing the right analysis. But clearly, if they're saying whether any changes or upgrades are needed, and they're already refueling one of the plants, and they're saying that there's no damage or safety to operating systems. Clearly, they are laying a semantic path to the restarting of these nuclear reactors, which have eight miles of piping underneath that carry radioactive water. doesn't sound like a good situation. Um, there's a new activist group, a new watchdog group that has formed Not Our Fault Line. Uh, the, Louisa, the Louisa County group says that before North Anna's existing units go back online, they should be upgraded to the higher seismic standards planned for the proposed Unit 3. The NRC also asked Dominion whether there was any damage to fuel in the reactors, and Dominion said, I love the language, and listen closely, this is a direct quote, there is reasonable assurance that there was no significant physical or functional damage to the fuel. No significant damage? How about insignificant damage? How about any damage at all? And as for reasonable assurance, what does that mean? And who gave it and on what basis? You see the game that they play with the words around this, and if you blink, it moves past and you think everything's okay when it's really not. Now, the NRC also outlined a battery of tests and inspections that must be performed on both units at North Anna before and after startup. So everybody's assuming these things are going to be going online, but there's no assurance that they're safe. And there is a limit of liability for the nuclear industry of $100 million on any accident. And as we've seen from Japan, we can go into the billions really quickly. And then it's U.S. taxpayers who are on the line for the rest of the money. So uh, this just deserves the nuts of the Week award. It's just, it, it, it's just too painful to contemplate. Now, again, in the United States, you might be wondering, how does the nuclear industry get away with what it gets away with? And here's how. According to a story by the Associated Press, the main trade group for the nuclear power industry, the Nuclear Energy Institute or NEI, spent. in the second quarter of 2011, lobbying federal officials about financial support for new reactors, safety regulations, and other issues, according to a a disclosure report. That's 32% more than the $440,000 the trade group spent in the second quarter of last year, and 6% more than the $545,000 it spent in the first quarter of 2011. The nuclear crisis in Japan, which started last March, brought about by the earthquake and tsunami, led to calls for tighter safety regulations for nuclear plants in the United States. So instead of the NEI looking to see what they can do to increase safety levels, they just increased the amount of money that went towards lobbying the officials who are in charge with making those regulations so they don't have to spend money on the changes. Uh, they say that they are the NEI, which is based in Washington, said that they lobbied the government on measures designed to ensure the nation's 104 commercial reactors can withstand natural disasters. No, it sounds like it, they are lobbying the government to make certain that the 104 commercial reactors withstand activists who are trying to get them shut down, upgraded, decontaminated, all those things that need to be done. Many nuclear plants use outdated cooling systems that consume enormous amounts of water, and replacing those cooling systems with newer systems that use less water is expensive, according to the NEI. Now, just so we're clear, in April through June of this year alone, the NEI, on behalf of the nuclear industry, lobbied Congress, the Commerce Department, the Defense Department, the Executive Office of the President, the Departments of Transportation, Energy, State, and Homeland Security Department, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the Office of Management and Budget, the Environmental Protection Agency, and the Federal Energy Regulation Commission. So they're really making sure that their dollars go far, which are probably tax dollars to begin with, because remember, we citizens underwrote this process from the start. Now, in Los Alamos, uh, the cleanup is continuing there of toxic materials that have existed since uh, the 1940s Manhattan Project. Uh, the detritus from these, uh, from these experiments were strewn through some of northern New Mexico's most scenic mesas and canyons. Workers also extracted 43,000 cubic yards of radioactive debris and toxic soil from what is known as Area B which is just across the street from a strip of local businesses and just more than a mile from downtown Los Alamos. Now, as a result of this cleanup, it was a $212 million excavation project on a six-acre site. It was completed last month, and lab officials boast that the environmental conditions there will soon be suitable for residential development. I can just see the signs on the model homes. Buy one of these homes, save on electricity. You can turn off the lights, and it glows in the dark. Cleaning up the greater 40-mile square complex of Los Alamos, which is situated 25 miles northwest of Santa Fe, is far from complete. According to Ralph Phelps, chairman of the Northern New Mexico Citizens Advisory Board, which is an activist group, uh, the waste and contaminated buildings at the 63-acre site known as Area G definitely pose a safety threat to northern New Mexico. As a result, Gov. Susana Martinez and the Citizens Advisory Board have increased pressure on the National Nuclear Safety Administration, which runs the lab for the Department of Energy, to accelerate removal of thousands of barrels of plutonium-tainted waste stored in Area G, the lab's last active dump site. These barrels gained national focus when the state's largest ever wildfire forced a nearly week-long evacuation of both the lab and the entire town of Los Alamos, and revealed that the uh, 55-gallon drums that hold the majority of that waste were protected simply by a fabric open tent. That's nuclear waste, guys, containing plutonium, and it's only being protected by a tent. Uh, there are also 33 underground canals of radioactive waste below the barrels, which are awaiting transfer to waste isolation project, a pilot project in southern New Mexico. A record 170 shipments of the legacy waste from the nation's premier nuclear weapons facility was taken to this, uh, to the WIPP, the pilot project, in the fiscal year that just ended. But the equivalent of some 40,000 barrels remain. Radioactive Waste, the gift that keeps on giving. I'm going to switch now to just talking about the um, experience that I had and so many others had last week down in San Clemente when the Nuclear Regulatory Commission came to town to um, have have a presentation in front of uh, a live audience. Now, initially... This was set up to be a discussion of the nuclear issues between the NRC and representatives of the anti-nuclear lobby. As a matter of fact, uh, Gene Stone of Rose Residents Organized for a Safe Environment—pardon me, my mouth doesn't seem to be working correctly today—but uh, Gene Stone was the one who uh, agitated for this meeting and set it up. And it was supposed to be a direct, one-on-one discussion my he-said-she-said kind of situation between the NRC and our representatives, who were all set to include Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds Associates and Dan Hirsch of the Committee to Bridge the Gap, two heavy hitters who have both testified before Congress. The problem was that between the NRC and the city of San Clemente, many manipulations took place which broke the single event into two events one being the pro-nuke side presenting their materials, which we were supposed to be able to have a Q&A with, and then later... Uh, which is going to happen on the eleventh of October, a uh, situation where our side gets to present to the city, but no kind of interplay really between the two sides. That was the first blow now here's here 's some of what happened. I will exp- uh, explain that this is gene Stone. Uh, this is an interview I did with him on site um, as we found out that the rules were being changed on us yet again. Yeah. I'm talking with Jean Stone of Residents Organized for a Safe Environment, Rose. And Jean is really the organizer who pulled together this uh, the fact of the hearings with the NRC today in San Clemente and also brought together this large group of activists who came together to have our voices hopefully be heard by the NRC. Gene, what are you hoping is going to be the experience tonight and the result of this evening?
1: Well we had hoped to have a fair and balanced meeting where we could have a real discussion. I'm Fortunately, the city has uh, saw fit to not let that happen. So tonight, uh, we are going to do the best that we can to inform the public about the safety issues uh, of uh, San Onofre Nuclear Power Station and the lack of the NRC's oversight and effective and adequate matters uh, post Fukushima.
0: And what do you hope is the upshot of the meeting? What would be the best possible result that is reasonable coming out of this single meeting?
1: Oh, that's a difficult question. Uh, uh, information to the public. Uh, I think letting the public know that the NRC values life at uh, $3 million when every other uh, federal agency values life at 5 to $9 million on their computer formula and so the main question for the public is, how come uh, NRC and Edison value life less than every other federal agency?
0: This relates to the cost-benefit analysis by which they make their decisions about whether or not a nuclear plant is uh, supposed to make an upgrade, is being mandated to make an
1: upgrade. Would that be correct? That's, that's correct. If you read the latest uh, uh, Lessons Learned from Fukushima... Uh, And
0: that's the report that the NRC developed themselves
1: in the wake of Fukushima. That's correct. It's called the Near-Term Task Force. And uh, in that report, it states over and over again that uh, safety is always mitigated by cost. And our question is, first of all, why is the cost of our lives less than any other agency uh, that uses that formula? And, And then uh, how come the NRC is valuing us at $3 million, you know?
0: Now, when you say values us at $3 million, is that per person or is that an aggregate for a certain number of people?
1: No, that's per person. $3
0: $3 million per person is the value of a single human life. Right. And within 50 miles of uh, San Onofre, we have a population in the Southern California area of approximately 8.5 million. Is that correct? Yes.
1: Yeah, it's very close to that, yes. But if you go to the 100-mile area where they've had uh, radiation in Fukushima, there's more like 17 to 20 million people in that area.
0: So, in other words, the cost of our lives in aggregate is not the same as the cost for the upgrades at the nuclear station. So, they're giving a pass to the nuclear power plant?
1: Definitely. If they figured in the higher cost, then it would, by their formula, then they would have to create more regulations to in- increase the safety at uh, all the nuclear plants in America. And they choose, obviously, choose not to do that so that they don't have to make the upgrades. And that's one way that they keep the cost down and the profits up.
0: Amazing for an agency that has as its slogan protecting people and the environment.
1: Exactly. That's, that's, that was, the, when I saw that, was the first thing I thought of. Well,
0: Gene, we wish you, we wish me. I'm going to be there tonight asking my questions, too. And um, for whatever the step is, thank you for pulling this together. Thank you for your ongoing activism. And let's go tonight and kick some serious butt.
1: Yeah, let's go. You know-
0: so that was Jean Stone from Rose, and that was an interview that took place about an hour before the hearing was supposed to start. Now, I, by the way, I love the fact that it's an NRC oversight committee, because oversight could mean overseeing, it could also mean overlooking, and it seems like it was the latter. Anyway, there was a further manipulation that happened after that interview, which was that we were forced to write down our questions that we wished to have asked and submit them in writing. We thought we were going to have a three-minute per person Q&A session for the available time, and that was reneged upon. The city took that away, and we had to submit our questions in writing, and they got to pick and choose which of the questions got asked in front of the NRC. Then the setup of the room was changed so that, The city of San Clemente officials were sitting in the front facing the audience, but facing them were the members of the NRC. And there were people there from San Onofre and from Southern California, Edison as well, but I'm just going to concentrate on the NRC, um, facing the San Clemente board with their backs to the audience. So we could not see them. They did not have to see us. They did not have to look at us. It was a complete separation. And as a result, it was a closed loop. The people from the NRC, one man in particular, a very pasty-faced bureaucrat, I sat close to the front so that I could look at least in profile at these people and what they were doing, uh, read a completely canned and manufactured report, lots of jargon, lots of obfuscation of information in there, um that was it was canned it was completely nrc this is what we're doing and this is why we're so wonderful and when the mayor started reading the questions out i watched as he progressively got weaker and weaker in answering the questions because uh the good thing was that uh jean and the others from rose had uh written out what our questions needed to be and we copied them over Literally, word for word, onto the uh, written materials, so that uh, onto the forms that we had. Excuse me, that was too early. Um, And um, so we had some very strong questions that were asked, but all the various points were read out at once, and then. The guys from the NRC got to answer, but there was no interplay. There was no follow-up. There was no saying, wait a minute, you said this, but that doesn't answer that. So there was a huge disconnect that sounded like it was communication, but it wasn't. And I have to say that I was really fascinated, not by the main guy from the NRC, but from the man sitting next to him, a younger individually, looked like he was in his 30s. Uh He's the one who's actually at San Onofre every day. And he revealed that uh, he lives in the area, his family lives in the area, and uh, he's doing everything in his power to do what's right to make sure that everything, that the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted. And I really would have liked to have asked him, because the NRC is saying, oh, it's a misunderstanding that we need a 50-mile evacuation area. We really only need a 10-mile evacuation area. Beyond that, you don't have to be worried, which, of course, is BS, because they told Americans in Japan within 50 miles, Get out. So if that's what's good for Japan, why isn't it also good for us here in the U.S.? But anyway, with that individual who works in the plant every day and his family lives close, and I believe he said he had children, I would have asked him, if there is a quake and it is anywhere near what is believed to be the tolerance for the plant, for Santa Onofre, and you live, your family lives, Say 15, 20 miles away, you're outside of the 10 mile area, and your wife calls you on the cell and says, what should I do? What would you tell her? What would you want to have happen for your wife and your child? Or would you be willing to sacrifice them on behalf of the NRC? And, and, and keeping with the company line. Because this all comes down to the human issue. The NRC is looking at this as dollars and cents and making its decisions based on statistics. But it's human lives that are in the balance with this. We already know that uh, San Onofre did a water dump last week, and we're not certain what was in it. But um, one of the people who was in uh, in our activist lobbying group said that as she she keeps a Geiger counter with her at all times. And she said that as she was coming past San Onofre, the background radiation, which had read at seventeen, I don't know what the becquerels, Rams, RADs, I don't know which it was, but it was at seventeen, which is the normal background radiation in Southern California. She said as she drove past San Onofre, it jumped up to thirty four. In other words, the background radiation level doubled. But of course, according to the NRC, there's no problem there. There's a huge disconnect. Now one of the reasons that they that this can happen and that this is happening made itself blatantly clear with something that I was not aware of, which is that the NRC receives 90% of its funding from the nuclear industry. That's right. They are being asked to regulate their own bosses. And just imagine the Nuclear Regulatory Commission takes a look at a reactor and goes, gee, um, this isn't safe. Dear boss, we're going to have to shut this down. And the boss says, well, we're just going to have to take X amount of dollars out of your budget then. They're not likely to do that. There's no motivation for what is supposed to be a federal watchdog committee to be what they're supposed to be and protect the public. They are protecting the nuclear industry, even if they say that they are neutral. They are not. And um, it was a pretty horrifying situation to take a look at. And I'm glad that I did, because if I had a commitment to activism before this, it has gone megatons larger since. We're all in danger of what might happen and isn't being prepared for in the nuclear world. And without those protections in place, an earthquake, a hurricane, a tsunami, a tornado, a terrorist and anything an apparator error can set us off on a radiational trip that we can't come back from because there's no way to mitigate against this stuff it is forever remember half life just means half the time the time it takes for the radiation to be half as toxic as it has been doesn't mean that it's safe anymore so my hats are off to uh, to jean and rose and uh, the activists who were down there. Some came from Northern California. And I will continue to attend events and give you reports. They're going to be extremely subjective, extremely biased. Um, I am an anti-nuclear activist, and I believe that these things need to be shut down. And then all energies and all monies need to go to finding ways to neutralize the radioactive waste that has been created. Because right now, all the radioactive poisoning of the planet that is taking place cannot be turned around. We just have to wait until that stuff wears out. And uh, plutonium has a half-life of 24,000 years. By the time it it goes to nothing and no toxicity, it's as far along into forever as the human mind can imagine. So if there's anybody who has a, a question or a thought on this, I would be happy to uh, engage in further conversation. Well, I don't really have a question, but I just want to uh, comment on uh, you're doing such a great job with uh, bringing this to the spotlight, and uh, I just kind of want to know maybe how we can spread this message more to the masses. I mean, this needs to get out, and uh, I mean, you're doing awesome, and it's just, people just need to wake up, and how do we do that? I think that what's needed is a grassroots educational program, and I did discuss this with the other activists. It's clear that we're not going to get top-down leadership, so this is time for the grassroots up. We're already seeing with the Occupy Wall Street movement, which has just sparked across the country, that grassroots activism is the way to go. This is the rebirth of what was going on in the 60s, and I certainly remember that era and participated in it as well, though not at this level. Um I believe the first thing is that for people who have this information, to share it with others. Share it in private conversations. I share it with the checkout guys at uh, Trader Joe's. I share it with, I shared with my local librarian, and tonight I'm doing a speaking engagement at my local library. What you can do if you're not solid on the information, have people subscribe to Nuclear Hot Seat. I'm going to do everything in my power to scale the information so that it makes human sense. The big guys like to you know, obfuscate. They like to use technical terminology that make us all scratch our heads and go, gosh, they must know what they're talking about because I can't figure it out. My job, as I see it, is to translate this and point out when they're using semantics, when they are sliding around the edges of information, when they are simply lying to us, and when they're trying to coax us along so we go along with them. That's my job, and um, whatever you can do, everyone is welcome. This is a free podcast that I do every week because I can't not do it. I take in so much information, I've got to give it back. Uh, you can turn people onto this. They can subscribe on iTunes. They can go to NuclearHotSeat.com, or they can go to the Nuclear Hot Seat group on Facebook. All three places will allow you to have access to this information, plus the archive as well. So, thank you very much for asking that and um just know that uh for all intents and purposes, you know, God willing and the crick don't rise, I will be here every Tuesday with further information and updates to keep us aware of exactly what's going on in the nuclear world. So, are there any other questions or comments? Then, okay, um, we will, of course, keep you up to date on what's happening uh, with San and Ofre and uh, Rose and all the terrific people who are doing that work, but now let's take a look at the larger world and Japan. In a new report just issued, TEPCO, the Tokyo Electric Power Company, finds that its own nuclear accident manual is useless. That's right, useless. There was an in-house report for from TEPCO uh, that, showed that it has found its own emergency manual was useless for handling the crisis at Fukushima No one nuclear power plant. The report indicated the utility prepared the manual with a view to dealing with nuclear plant accidents, including severe incidents on the assumption that emergency power generators — excuse me, emergency power generators, including diesel generators, would work properly to keep reactor cooling systems functioning, which, of course they did not. In fact, none of the backup generators worked after the March 11th earthquake and tsunami hit the plant located on the Pacific coast. Oops, I can just hear the guys at TEPCO going, "Ah, sorry, our bad, sorry world. Ah, This is why they say that they've got us covered, but you can never anticipate exactly what Mother Nature is capable of coming up with. Now, there was an interesting video. It was an interview by Linda Moulton Howe, of uh, Frank E. Dalton, who is a doctor. He's a professor of economics and linguistics at Ryukoku, I'm sorry, Japan, Ryukoku University in Kyoto. And he was uh very forthcoming with his information. First of all, uh, he let us know that near Kyoto, which is 500 kilometers, about 300 miles from Fukushima, they are measuring ground radiation uh, at around... microsieverts per hour. Now, that's the number, but here's what it means. It's at least 10 times higher than the background radiation level the Japanese government asserts is is in existence. That misinformation, according to the professor, is because the Japanese government is afraid to tell the truth. He says, the only way to understand how the government can present false data showing absolutely no effect of Fukushima in western Japan knowing that someday the lie will become apparent, is that things are far worse than anyone has imagined. Indeed, in Japan, one does not tell someone with cancer that he or she has cancer because it might upset them too much. I think in the future we will be given a similar excuse for the current cover-up. He goes on to say, the only way I can understand how the government could be under-reporting blatantly the data today is that in the future, they are going to rationalize it by saying, we did not feel it was in the country's best interest to know right away. It would create economic chaos and a lot of trouble throughout Japan. However, according to Professor, it will become common knowledge that the contamination has come far beyond what is being reported in the media. On a personal note, he said, in my family, we don't eat fish anymore. My wife is Japanese. My children have grown up as Japanese. For Japanese people to stop eating fish is a huge adjustment. I'm afraid that this, meaning the Fukushima accident, has dealt a near fatal blow to Japan. Japan will never be the same. It has lost its future. I can't believe this is going on. This is a nightmare you think you can just wake up from, but it's not. Continuing on that note, of course, in uh, late April or early May, it was discovered that uh, bunnies were being born near Fukushima without ears, uh, mutations. Now, in Tokyo, uh, there's a report including photographs of three rats that were caught. Two of them have deformed tails, and one of them has a deformed leg, and those were just the rats that were caught. Too bad you can't catch the rats from TEPCO. Now, last week we reported that uh, motocross drivers who were going supposed to go to Japan for a championship race were talking about bringing their own food and water with them because they were concerned. And the government of Japan was saying that they were going to confiscate their food and water at the airport as not being appropriate, as showing no faith in Japan, which, yes, that is exactly what it would be. And last I heard, food and water were not on the you-can't-bring-into-the-country list of any country. Well, this week the report is that the reigning champion, uh, Jorge Lorenzo, said on Saturday he was using bottled water to wash himself to avoid showering in tap water in Japan, as many racers continued to voice concern about radiation exposure. I shower with bottles, he told a press conference, and demonstrated how. Many teams brought their own supplies of water and food to Japan amid the perceived risk of radioactive contamination after the March accident. Riders said they were assured by experts about the safety of Motegi, which is where they had their race, but they were taking precautions for their own peace of mind. Honda star Danny Pedrosa said he was considering leaving all his clothes in Japan, while championship leader Casey Stoner flew in late from Australia to minimize the length of his stay in Japan. That's just called being prudent. So. I always like to include some holistic healing information, and here is the tip for today. It's zeolite, which is a mineral that is mined from the ground. At the nuclear disaster in Chernobyl, over 500 tons of zeolite were dropped into the reactor to absorb radioactive materials because zeolite absorbs and fixes the material inside it, so it cannot radiate out the the radioactive particles that do the damage Cattle were fed zeolite to keep radioactive ions out of milk. Zeolite cookies were baked for children to help reduce radioactive absorption because zeolite in the body works as zeolite does in the soil. It absorbs and fixes the radiation so it can be passed out of the body. When soil contaminated with cesium and strontium near Chernobyl were treated with zeolite, plants growing in that soil resulted in no uptake of the cesium or strontium. These facts and more were presented in a paper in the 1998 National Academy of Sciences. Uh, this paper was entitled, La Roca Magica, Uses of Natural Zeolites in Agriculture and Industry. Um, I will have a link posted on the Nuclear Hot Seat website and also on the group page so that you can uh source this yourself and take a look at it. But for now, the suggestion is if you are a gardener, Get some zeolite. Use it as a soil amendment. I don't care where you live. There's radiation coming all over the United States in greater and larger amounts. Use the zeolite and uh, explore ways that you might use zeolite internally as well. Now, a little bit of activist information, and here are two pieces of good news. Uh, in England, the Hinkley Point Power Station has been blockaded by anti-nuclear activists. Yes, let's hear it for the jellyfish. Jellyfish blockaded, we're talking about the real jellyfish, blockaded three nuclear reactors, two in, one in Japan and uh, two in Scotland earlier this year and became my heroes. Spineless jellyfish stopped nuclear reactors. Now people are joining spineless jellyfish and stopping nuclear reactors. More than 200 people blockaded the nuclear power station at Hinkley Point in England to protest plans to build nuclear reactors on the site. Members of several anti-nuclear groups that are part of Stop New Nuclear Alliance say they are barring access to Hinkley Point Power Station near Bridgewater in Somerset in protest at EDF Energy's plans to renew the site with two new nuclear reactors. These would be the first of eight new nuclear re- reactor stations, um, nuclear power stations proposed to be built in the United Kingdom. Stop New Nuclear spokesman Andreas Speck said, this blockade shows that people who understand the true dangers of nuclear power are prepared to use civil disobedience to get their voices heard. The government has hoodwinked the public into believing that we need nuclear power to keep the lights on, but this is totally untrue. Now, it's interesting that while most of the protesters are local to the plant, demonstrators also came in from as far away as Belgium and Germany. This is an international movement, people. And here's a piece from the United States, very interesting, in Austin, Texas, Opponents of two proposed South Texas project nuclear reactors received a favorable order from the Atomic Safety and Licensing Board judges allowing for a full hearing to proceed regarding the project's foreign ownership. That's right, foreign ownership of domestic nuclear plants. Licensing efforts may be impacted as a result. Yay! Let's hope for this. Now, federal law is clear. This is according to a spokesperson. Federal law is clear that foreign-controlled corporations are not eligible to apply for a license to build and operate nuclear power plants. The evidence is that Toshiba is in control of the project. This is in Austin, Texas. They're in control of the project, and this precludes obtaining an NRC license for South Texas Project 3 and 4. This was according to Brett Jarmer, who's a lawyer for the interveners, which include SEED Coalition, Public Citizen, and South Texas Association for Responsible Energy. Quote, this is from uh, from the attorney, Jarmer. Foreign investments in U.S. nuclear project is not per se prohibited, but Toshiba is paying all the bills for the STP-3 and 4 projects. This makes it difficult to accept that Toshiba doesn't control the project. National security and safety concerns justify NRC's limit on foreign ownership and control of nuclear reactors. Now according to Karen Hayden, who's Director of Sustainable Energy and, and Economic Development, which is the SEED Coalition, she asks, what if a foreign company runs a U.S. reactor carelessly? What if a nation that's friendly today becomes hostile towards the U.S. in the future and tries to threaten us with our own reactors? What if their concerns are more about cost cutting and less about safety? Oh, wait a minute. That's, that's the United States. That's, that's, They're more more involved with cost-cutting and less about safety. Sorry about that. But foreign governments could do that as well. Anyway, so there has been a postponing of the licensing, and it's going from a mere complaint to a full hearing that is going to take place. We will keep you updated on that as it continues. Finally, if you are anywhere in the Los Angeles area tonight, October 4th, I will be speaking live and in person uh, at 6.30 p.m. at the Sunland Tahunga Public Library on nuclear issues, and especially focusing on the 1959 Simi Valley nuclear meltdown, which happened only 30 miles from where the library is situated. Uh The address is 77. 77- one Foothill Boulevard in Sunland, California. If you can get there, great. And if not, just know that uh, I am available to be booked for speaking engagements, and I would love to be part of the grassroots movement of uh, spreading this information. I mean, I am already, but um, always looking for more opportunities to turn people on to the dangers of nuclear and uh, radicalize them into taking an action. So to close out today, doing the nuclear math, this is day 207 for each of the three melted-down nuclear reactors, Fukushima Daiichi, in Japan. That means 621 nuclear, lu- n- nuclear leak days since Fukushima began. We're closing in on two years of radiation leakage, the equivalent of one, radi- one reactor going for two years. Now Chernobyl was encased in a sarcophagus and zeolite and boron by day 10. So using that time alone, if you divide Fukushima by Chernobyl, you get the equivalent of almost 62 Chernobyls, and it isn't over yet. They're nowhere close to having containment. We don't even know if that's even possible. So there's going to be more news. Uh, stay tuned. There will be more nuclear hot seats, but for now, this has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, October 4, 2011. You can find us and links to previous programs by going to NuclearHotSeat.com or on the Facebook Nuclear Hot Seat group page. Hopefully they will not change their formatting so the group pages go away, but you never know with Facebook. Uh We are also up on iTunes, and you can subscribe for free so you never need miss a single episode of Nuclear Hot Seat. Uh, just go to the podcast button, click on that, do a search for Nuclear Hot Seat, and it's real easy to sign up. In closing, this is Libby Halevi of Heart History Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. That alarm clock's been going off for a while. Now, you're awake, do not go back to sleep. I'll speak with you next week. Take care. Be safe. Bye-bye.